There we go. That yodeling album is so deep within me that I can't, I can't yet see it, but maybe it's in there somewhere. Um, morning, everyone. Hope you guys are doing really well. Uh, one quick announcement from me. Um, one of the reasons that I love this church is the amazing Mr. Damien Miller. Um, and uh, many of you know Damien. Some of you don't know Damien. Damien has uh, been in this church since he was about three years old and has been leading worship since about four years old. And um, he is honestly uh, such an incredible guy, such an incredible father in this house, but also a wonderfully gifted songwriter. And uh, he has just brought out an EP of five songs that he's written. And uh, since Thursday, since I got hold of this, this has been the soundtrack to my own kind of times with God. And they are just beautiful, beautiful songs that have made me cry on more than one occasion. And um, so I just want to encourage you guys to go and get these after the meeting. Damien will be there to sell them. He will sign your forehead or your T-shirt. You can have a selfie with Damien if you want to. He's well up for that. He loves that sort of thing. Um, so... Um, Guys, go and get a hold of those and get a hold of some great music. It's also available on iTunes. You can check that out. So do go and get a hold of that if you can. Great. Why don't you just quickly stand up? Just want you to put your hand on your forehead and just repeat after me. Jesus, here I am. Come and get me. Amen. Okay, sit down. Great. So, great to be together. I love this vision that Simon's just talked about that we're sh shooting for this year. And I just want to dive into one of those themes uh, together in the time that we've got remaining. And just to kind of set that up, I, I just want to tell you about two really important events that happened in my life. One when I was 21 years old and one when I was 12 years old. And then the connection between those two. So when I was 21 years old, this happened. Let's try again. When I was 21 years old, <laughs> I got married. I got married to my wife, Carol. It was the 6th of September, 1997. It was the same day that Princess Diana was buried. And uh, one thing I remember that particular day is that the whole of England was like a ghost town. Like no one was out in the streets. Everyone was glued to the funeral on their, on their TVs at home. There was this kind of sense of national mourning, except for a little church in Sidcup High Street where I got married. And I remember turning up to the door uh, on, on the, the day of my wedding. And the first person to greet me was an, an elderly man called Alex. And he met me at the door. His face looked like thunder. And he came up. He's like, Phil. It's a sad day. <laughs> That's literally the first thing anyone said to me in the church building. It's a sad day. I was like, it's not for me, Alex. I'm getting married today. And, uh, and that was one of the biggest celebrations, one of the happiest moments of my life, getting married to my wife. Uh, another moment when I was 12 years old, just little Phil, and I haven't got a picture of little Phil, I'm sorry. Uh, but when I was little, Phil, um, I came up on a coachload of young people. And aren't our youth leaders amazing, by the way, in our church? Can we just give it up for our youth leaders? Just thank them. What an incredible job they do. You guys are amazing. And a whole bunch of youth leaders took me and a whole load of my friends in a coach to Earthingborough in Northamptonshire, not, not far from here. And uh, I went on a youth weekend away, and it was on that weekend away as a 12-year-old that I had my first encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit. 
And uh, I, I was a good church-going boy. I'd been to church since before I was born. I made my own decision to follow Jesus as a six-year-old. Uh, but the moment as a 12-year-old where I had my first encounter with Holy Spirit was the moment that utterly changed my life forever. And uh, I remember being prayed for one evening uh, in Earthingbury, Northampton. And uh, it was a very kind of quiet event. I got prayed for. There were no smells, no bells, no whistles, no angelic visitations, not even a, a, a shimmy or a shiver, like nothing. <laughs> I didn't feel anything. But the next day, I remember as I woke up, it's like someone had turned all the lights on inside of me. And I suddenly had this overflowing joy on the inside of me, and I just couldn't wait to worship. I couldn't wait to read my Bible. And, and for the first time, I actually wanted to tell other people about Jesus. Before that, I was incredibly shy, incredibly reserved, didn't really want any of my friends to know that I followed Jesus. But suddenly, the moment I met Holy Spirit, suddenly life came on the inside of me. It was a life-changing encounter for me. And the connection between those two events is this, is that in the same way that a wedding does not make a marriage, neither does one encounter with the Holy Spirit make a relationship. Both of those things need sustaining over the long haul. Both of those things need sustaining. If you, you light a fire in your fireplace at home, pretty soon that fire will go out unless you look after it and put fresh wood on it. Here's the truth. You are called into a sustained encounter with the living God. It's not a one-off event. It's not a piece of history that you look back to. Oh, I remember when I met Jesus. I remember when I once got filled with the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. We look back to those important milestones, but it introduces us to a lifestyle. You're meant to know Holy Spirit every single day of your life. You're called into a sustained encounter. And this, of course, is the picture that we get in the early church as they encountered God in their lives. It was one of sustained encounter. Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples, listen, guys, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Switzerland and Bogota and Bedford. You're going to be my witnesses. But to do that, you need to go and wait and you'll be clothed with power. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens in the story of Acts. They continually get filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Fast forward the story just a little bit more. Acts 4 verse 8, it says, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, fast forward the story a little bit more, Acts 4 verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Fast forward the story to Acts 13 verse 9, and the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And to sum all this up, Paul, when he's writing about being the people of the Holy Spirit, he says this in Ephesians verse 5. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Now, that's just a sage piece of advice right there. You could put a full stop right there. But he carries on. He says, instead of doing that, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Greek that's used for that word, be filled, is the present continuous tense, which would be better translated 
go on being filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He has called you into a sustained encounter with Him. Here's the question. Is your relationship to the Holy Spirit a one-off event or a sustained encounter? Because it's the second that God is calling us into together as a church family. So I want to look at just a few ways that we can enter into a sustained encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit. And here's the first thing that's incredibly important to understand. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. This is what A.W. Tozer says about this. Spell this out in capital letters. The Holy Spirit is a person. That's my capital letters voice. He goes on, he says, the Holy Spirit is not enthusiasm. He is not courage. He is not energy. He is not the personification of all good qualities, like Jack Frost is the personification of cold weather. Actually, the Holy Spirit is not the personification of anything. He has individuality. He has one being and not another. He has will and intelligence. He has hearing. He has knowledge and sympathy and ability to love and to see and to think. Holy Spirit can hear. He can speak. He desires. He grieves and he rejoices. The Holy Spirit is a person. This is one of the beautiful mysteries about worshipping Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God and yet three. We were singing about it in our worship time. His name is Yahweh. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Don't ask me how it works. It just does. Aren't you glad that your brain can't fully describe and articulate who God is? Otherwise, your God will be the size of your brain. (laughs) Just think about that for a moment. Okay? So when we ask Holy Spirit to come close and to come into the room and to fill us, we are asking none other than the very person of God to come. Because he is a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. And this is a crucial revelation when it comes to living in a sustained encounter. And I think the truth is that many of us struggle with this concept because the Holy Spirit is invisible. I read of one A theology student who went to his uh, professor of theology and said this, God the Father makes perfectly good sense to me, and God the Son I can quite understand, but to me the Holy Spirit is like a gray oblong blur. I think for many of us, when we think about Holy Spirit, we think of him as this kind of gray oblong blur, this kind of mysterious force, this mist, this wind, this fire, this oil. And that's where all our descriptions that are used often of the Holy Spirit come to play in the way that we think about Him. We begin to think of Him subconsciously as a substance rather than a person. But He is the person of God. The Holy Spirit is God. It's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. (laughs) That is really, really crucial. And the reason that is so crucial is that you cannot build a relationship with a substance, but you can build a relationship with a person. And that's why it makes such a difference in our thinking. And I think one of the reasons that we so often struggle with this concept is that we are trained materialists from birth. We are convinced by what we can touch and smell and see with our own eyes, by what we can empirically prove. And so the idea that the Holy Spirit is someone I can know, even though I can't see him, is kind of countercultural, isn't it? To our kind of Western materialistic mentality. 
But here's the thing that the Bible says about the invisible realm. Hebrews 11 says that all things that were created, everything that you can see, was made out of what was not visible. Just think about that. The chair that you're sitting on right now was made out of something that's invisible. God took from the greater reality of the invisible realm and he created it in the visible realm. That's why scripture time and time again says, listen, fix your eyes on the things that are unseen. Because the things that are unseen are eternal. They're going to last forever. One day your eyes will see those things. But while you don't see those things, he says, listen, fix your eyes. Remember. Remember this invisible reality that in the heavens right now, there is a God who is reigning and ruling over planet earth. And even though you can't see him, you are still called to know him as a reality in your life. And this certainly was Jesus' expectation. This is what he says to his disciples on one occasion in John 14. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you will know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, listen, the world cannot accept the Holy Spirit because it can't see him. But you're not like that. You are now living, dwelling places of his presence. You will know the Holy Spirit. And I think for the disciples... Their understanding of knowing Holy Spirit would have been exactly the same as their understanding of knowing Jesus. How did they know Jesus? Well, they woke up in the morning and they ate breakfast with Jesus. When they had a question, they asked Jesus the question that was on their mind. They went on road trips with Jesus. They copied what they saw Jesus doing. What he did, they tried to put it into practice. They cooked eggs and bacon. Actually, they didn't cook bacon, but they definitely would have cooked eggs. And maybe a bit of fish, but not bacon. They, they cooked with Jesus. They went fishing with him. They got on a boat with him. They did stuff with Jesus. It was everyday, ordinary, earthy life. And in another, another time, Jesus says, listen, in the same way that you've known me, you will know him. He's called you into a living, real relationship. And personally, this is one of the reasons why I don't like the language of Let's all get drunk in the Holy Spirit. The reason I don't like that language personally is that that tends to signify that your understanding of the Holy Spirit is as a substance to consume rather than a person to be known. And I believe that when the Holy Spirit says, be, when, when the Word of God says be filled with the Spirit, is an invitation to an encounter with a person that you can know. You can know Holy Spirit as your confidant, as your counselor, as your guide, as your friend, as your comforter, as the revealer of truth. You can know him as a present reality in your life if you will learn to relate to him just as the disciples related to Jesus. Eat breakfast with him in the morning. Say, Holy Spirit, what's on your mind? What are you doing? What do you want to say? Let me understand the word of God. I want to be a worshiper. Do life with him as a person. Spell it out in capital letters. The Holy Spirit is a person. The second thing that's crucial in sustaining an encounter with the Holy Spirit is to get very, very hungry for anointing. Hungry for anointing. And anointing, of course, is this kind of Old Testament concept where often uh, as kings were anointed for the task of being king, they would be anointed with oil to signify what God had called them to. That's where the concept of anointing comes from. Anointed for a particular purpose. 
So when Samuel anoints David to be the next king of Israel, he goes and pours oil on his head. He anoints him because he says, you have now been anointed for the task at hand. And part of sustaining an encounter with God is to start to switch on our hunger to do our lives under his empowering presence. While I was off on sabbatical this summer, I went to another church where they were doing a Come Holy Spirit meeting. I just thought, I'm just going to go and get some prayer and just enjoy God and being a context where I can just let it all hang out and just be with him. And uh, it was quite early on in my sabbatical. And I kind of went in and was finding it quite hard to switch my church leader brain off. You ever had that experience where you kind of, you find it quite hard to switch your own brain off in context where you'd quite like to? And so I kind of walked into the room and immediately I started noticing the things that leaders often notice in church meetings. You know, oh, I like that. Oh, I've never thought about doing it like that. That's really interesting. Or, "Mm, I'm not sure I would have done it like that. You know, I'm not sure that was the best first song to start with. Or, you know, the coffee could have been slightly hotter. Or, you know, it's a little bit chilly in this room. Someone needs to look after the thermostat. You know, those kind of leadership questions that you're thinking about. You know, the the PA could do with a little tune-up. Those sorts of things. Those are the sorts of things I was thinking. I was thinking about how could this meeting be like a little bit better? How could we improve the performance? How could we get the production so it's just a little bit tighter and, and kind of cooler? That's what I was thinking. But then the guy who was leading the meeting got up and began to speak and pray. And the moment that he opened his mouth, the Holy Spirit's presence just filled the room. And it was just unmistakable. I just thought, wow, God, you're here. And instantly the Holy Spirit said to me, Phil, excellence is a poor substitute for anointing. Excellence is a poor substitute for anointing. And I had a little wake-up moment with the Lord (laughs) where I suddenly realized that my main focus had been on the production rather than the person who was in the room. Excellence is a poor substitute for anointing. Now, don't get me wrong. God loves it when we do the best with the resources that he's given us. Do you know the difference between excellence and perfectionism? (laughs) Perfectionism is where you just drive yourself to get every single little detail right, even beyond your own ability to produce it. Excellence is where you do the best with what God has given you. That's excellence. And God loves excellence. He loves hard work. He loves it when we use the gifts that he's given us to best effect. Excellence is doing what you can, but anointing is God doing what you can't. (laughs) How many of you realize that there are situations in your life that you cannot shift unless God steps onto the page of your life? Just wave at me if any of you are in that situation right now. There are things in your life that unless God comes through, you could try your very best thing. But unless he does something, you're stuffed. (laughs) You're stuffed unless he comes through. And actually, this is the way that God has created us to live, just beyond our own ability to produce. (laughs) You're called to live under his anointing. You know, and you think about some of the massive needs in our society, maybe even in our town. Some of you may have heard there was a, a fatal knife crime in Bedford over the last few days in the center of town. And knife crime is starting to become something of a, an a epidemic amongst young people, even in Bedford and in the schools of Bedford and in the gangs in different parts of our town. When you think about issues like that, you know, excellence will get us so far. But ultimately, we need God to do something. We need God to step on the page of our nation. 
Do you know now that more people are killed by knife crime in London than in New York? How's that going to shift? It's going to shift through clever ideas and being involved and parenting and working into schools and working with young people. And we need to do all those things. But also it's only going to shift if God comes. If we are a people who say, God, I'll do what I can, but please will you do what I can't? Things are never going to change unless we start living with a dependence on Holy Spirit. You know, it was said of the Wesleyan revival that not only in that great revival did many people come to know Jesus and there was great salvation in this nation, but the Wesleyan revival, it was said, averted revolution from this nation. In other words, there wasn't just a spiritual benefit, there was a social benefit. At the same time, France was in one of the bloodiest revolutions that we've ever known. And England was right on the brink of that same revolution. And many historians say it was only because God broke into this nation that revolution was averted. We need God to come. We need God to step on the page of our nation. We have to have anointing. And my observation of my own heart and other people is that it's very easy for Christian lives to start dependent on God but quickly drift into relying on your own resources. And that's why perhaps you pray very well in a crisis, but not very well in other times of your life. If the only time you come to Jesus is when the chips are down, then just maybe you're living your life on your own resources. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray in an emergency, but you're called to something higher. You're called to a relationship, a sustained encounter, not a one-off moment. That's why one of my favorite preachers in the world, Michael Eaton, he went to be with the Lord recently. He said, if you really want to measure the true size of your church, count how many people come to your prayer meeting. Why did he say that? Because prayer is a litmus test of our dependence on God. We don't pray if we think we can do it ourselves or if we think someone else is going to do it for us. We feel we have no need to pray. We don't prioritize prayer in our own lives or in our corporate life as a church because we're relying on our own resources. That's scary, eh? You are called into a God dependence. God, will you do what only you can do? I love that moment where Jesus is passing by the blind man, Bartimaeus, at the side of the road. And people are trying to keep him quiet. But he is like, if Jesus doesn't open my eyes, I am sunk. And he's like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people try and shush him up and quiet him down and get him to think about being religiously respectable and keeping his reputation. But he's having none of it. He's like, no, no, I'm dependent on Jesus. If he doesn't step onto the page of my life, I will stay blind forever. Have mercy on me. He was stepping off excellence and into anointing in that moment. And Jesus' promise to us is very simple. If you ask for the Holy Spirit, the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. It's very, very simple. It says your Father is faithful. When you ask him for the Spirit, that is exactly what he will give you. So we need to keep asking. Next. You guys doing okay? Make your heart a hospitable home for the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the truth. The Holy Spirit doesn't actually live in this building. 
You know, he, he doesn't actually even live in holy places. I, I was in Israel over the summer and in Greece, in different places where the gospel's broken out. What I discovered is that the Holy Spirit is no more present there than he is here. Why? Because God does not dwell in special places anymore. He dwells in special people called temples of the Holy Spirit. And you are one of those temples. We are that temple corporately together. God has made his dwelling place our own hearts. That's amazing. Where did, what's God's address? You. You are God's address. Where does God live? Up there? No, no, in here. He's taken up residence because you have been made holy, a fit habitation for his presence. And one of the issues to do with sustaining an encounter with God is the housekeeping that goes on in our own hearts. Because if God lives in here, then what happens in here matters a great deal. How I look after the state of my own heart matters a great deal to how at home Holy Spirit feels in me. And one thing that I know the Holy Spirit absolutely loves is holiness. That's why it's his first name, Holy. It's not really his first name, but it's a description of what he loves. He's Holy Spirit. He loves holiness. And, you know, in my more orphan-hearted days, I used to only think of holiness as God's absolute hatred of sin. And I used to think, gosh, when I come into his presence, it's holy, 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 and I better get down low, and I better make sure my sin's out of the way because he's holy, holy, holy. And, of course, that's true. But, you know, holiness is so much more than just God's hatred for sin. It's God's delight in beauty. It's God's delight in excellence. It's God's delight in things that are praiseworthy and admirable and pure and lofty and brilliant. God is the architect of every brilliant, pure thing in this planet. And he loves it. And that's why we worship him in the beauty of his holiness. Because holiness is beautiful. And here's the question. Is the state of your mind, your heart, is it a beautiful place for the Holy Spirit to take up residence and live? You know, if you are inviting someone that you want to impress into your house, you will definitely hoover before they come. Yeah, you, you may even get the disinfectant out and kind of wash down your kitchen surfaces. You may get your best china out. You, you'll put the kids' toys away. You'll make sure the dog's well-behaved. You'll do all those things to try and make sure your house is hospitable for your guest. Listen, you need to switch on your hospitality mode for the Holy Spirit. Switch it on. Switch it on. This is what Ephesians says. It says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Do you see what he's saying there? There is a connection between how you manage your speech, by how you manage your forgiveness, by how you manage your attitude towards other people, and the Holy Spirit not being grieved. He's a person. What happens in here, what happens in here affects his ability to rest on you with power and authority. Some of us make sinful choices and we wonder why God is not resting on our life with power. It's because you need to do some housekeeping. You need to clean your house. Holy Spirit lives here. This is his home now. So what's going on on the inside? Get rid of some of that junk. Get rid of it. I think a particular issue that we need to be mindful of is the issue of sexual purity. 
I would say alongside prayerlessness, sexual pure impurity is probably the greatest cause of a lack of spiritual authority in Christian believers. And if someone comes to me and I notice that they are struggling to move in power or rest in a spiritual authority, my first question is, how's your prayer life? My second question is, how's your purity? Because purity massively affects spiritual authority. Let me just prove it to you. 1 Thessalonians verse, chapter 4, verse 3. Paul says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. That means made holy. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body. Verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God. The very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Did you notice that? He who rejects God's instructions about how to live sexually impure, pure, is not rejecting man's instruction. You're rejecting God. And that is why some of us, because we've not got to grips with controlling our own bodies and managing our own sexual appetites within the covenant of marriage, we fail to walk in a sustained encounter with God. Because you can't ignore God's instructions and then still inspect him to rest on you in power. Got to do some housekeeping, guys and girls. Make the house clean. Do what's pure, admirable, lovely, stuff that the Holy Spirit loves. Are you making choices that God loves? Do you love what he loves? I tell you, when you start to love what he loves, Holy Spirit loves just just flow through your life. In a sustained way. He loves holiness. Fourth. Learn to respond to relational moments. You know those moments where you're just, I don't know, driving your car or you're at your work desk or you're brushing your teeth or you're in a church meeting or you're reading your Bible or you're having a cup of coffee and you just sense that God comes close. Yeah, just wave at me if you've ever had one of those moments. You just feel like... You just sense the nearness of God somewhere. Listen, I would encourage you firstly to be aware that those moments can happen anywhere. You don't have to be in a church meeting or a Bible study on a Wednesday night to have God come close to you. Here's a God who wants to come close all the time. And so often it's about switching our brains into the mentality of God is with me wherever I am. When I go to work tomorrow morning, he's with me. He is in the car as I drive, as I listen to this radio He's here with me. He's listening. He's in the passenger seat listening to this radio station with me. He might want to say something to me at any moment. Learn to respond to those relational nudges of the Holy Spirit. Rather than just rushing on, just take a moment to acknowledge his presence. And it might be as simple as, thank you so much, Holy Spirit. I love your presence. It might be all it is. But just respond, relationally respond. You know, when my wife comes to me or one of my kids and they're like, Dad, I really love you. That is not a moment for a stony silence and a walk away. How many of you know that would not go well? And neither would it be a healthy response. There is something natural about reciprocation. I love you too. Thank you so much. You are so, uh, thank you so much. I feel so encouraged by what you just said. It's relational because the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not a mist. He's not a wind. He's not a fire. He's a person. And so when he comes close, just learn to respond. Say, I love you, Holy Spirit. 
I love your presence. Is there anything that you want to say to me? And I had this moment the other week where I had the house to myself. Everyone else was out. And, uh, you know, as an introvert, when everyone else goes out of the house, it's quite a fun moment, isn't it? Anyone else know that moment? You know, you're like, I've got the whole house to myself. Wow, this is amazing, beautiful. It doesn't happen very often, but just occasionally. And so I thought, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a film on that I like watching. And, you know, I've got, got it all lined up. I've got my Netflix, you know, lined up. And then I just felt that little nudge. I just felt the Holy Spirit's presence. Now, what do you do in those moments where you say, oh, I love you, Holy Spirit? I just felt I'm sorry, I just want you to worship. So that's what I did. I just spent the evening worshiping. Got the guitar out, brushed off my three chords, and off I went. And I had just a beautiful moment with the Lord. Now, that's one of the ways that you learn to sustain an encounter with the Holy Spirit is that you don't just pitch up to a meeting, but you live life with awareness of He can speak to you at any moment. Respond to those nudges. Lean into Holy Spirit. Say, yes, Lord, I love you. Is there anything that you want to say? I want more of you in my life. And then last of all, learn to linger just a little bit longer. Learn to linger a little bit longer. You know, there's this uh, amazing study recently about the effect of prolonged physical affection on the human brain. And the idea is that every one of us, every day if we can, should receive a hug that lasts for at least 20 seconds because it's good for your brain. I can see hugs happening around this room. It's really nice. It's really nice. It's making me feel warm and fuzzy. But there is this correlation between physical affection and the health of the human brain, between mental health. It's good for you. It it kind of produces all the good gooey chemicals in your body. It makes you feel good. The happy chemicals start buzzing. It's a beautiful thing. And here's the reality. When it comes to the presence of God, we've got to learn to linger just a little bit longer. Don't settle for the two-second pat on the shoulder. You know, the Christian sideways hug. Let's not, let's not come to the Holy Spirit with that mentality, but let's come to him with a, Lord, I just want to learn to linger in your presence. And what that simply looks like is maybe when there's an opportunity for prayer, rather than rushing out the door to go and cook your Sunday dinner, just say, just for five minutes, I'm just going to stay in my seat. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm just going to thank Jesus and just ask him to come close. It might be something really simple like that. It might be when someone, one of the hosts says, if you're hungry for more of God or you would like prayer, instead of thinking, oh, I'll be great for those people that go forward, well, maybe one of, you're one of those people that needs to come forward and just have someone pray for you so that you can linger a little bit longer. Waiting is of great value when it comes to a sustained encounter with God. It's quite difficult to sustain an encounter when you're in rush mode the whole time. Learn to wait. Wait upon him, and you will renew your strength. Amen.